All eyes and no sight. Poisonous bunchbacked toad. The soul of this man is his clothes. Beetle-headed flap-eared knave. Anointed sovereign of sighs and groans. Hello, and welcome to this new episode of Strutting and Fretting, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. I'm your host, Timothy Eggert, and it is going to be a fun show for you today because I will be speaking with actor, director, playwright, author, media creative, local morning show radio host, and figurative plate spinner, um, Sean K. Thompson. Welcome to the zoo, Sean. Well, like, thank you. Well, that made me sound good. I'd hire me. Yeah, um, that, that's like literally um, the zoo because because my dog Usagi is in here. There is well. a menagerie in my lap. Yeah, that's I think cool. we know what I mean here. So with all those uh, actors slash directors slash everything else that you're, my God, what are you not doing? Hmm, what am I, resting, sleeping for the most part, uh, relaxing, Uh uh, spending quality time with loved ones. Mm -hmm. Well, no, my cast is my my loved ones too, so. Okay, well that's good. Um, You are directing the upcoming production of Kiss Me Kate. Tell me a little bit about that. Most of us know the story. Uh, You'd be surprised. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I would assume that a podcast about acting for actors would be listened to by actors. Here we go. Good, good, good. fingers crossed. Probably know this story. Possibly. But but for those of us that might not, go ahead and set us up a bit. Awesome. So Kiss Me Kate is a Noel, sorry, uh, Noel Coward, Cole Porter musical written in 1948. And they did a film version in 1953 with Howard Keel, Ann Miller... Uh, a great cast. Basic premise is actually based on a real life experience where there was a divorced mar- couple who had gotten divorced who were acting in a, in a production in the early 30s. And on stage they were magic, but backstage they were battling. And <laughs> someone decided to turn it into a story. And the uh, so the actual divorced married couple helped this person write the story, and then they actually got back together for a while, too, as a result. So the premise of Kiss Me, Kate is a producer named Fred Graham has decided to create a musical version of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. Okay. And in his infinite wisdom, has decided to ask his ex-wife to uh, co-star with him. He's cast himself in the lead. And so it's the shenanigans backstage as well as on the stage. What sets this musical apart from so many others are half the songs are what you call invisible orchestra songs. Mm-hmm. You know, someone just singing about, I love my wife still, or it's fun to be this person with the invisible orchestra. But the other half of the songs are actually sung to the audience during the musical Taming of the Shrew. So it's okay. done in Shakespearean style, but you yeah. find out that Fred's a bad lyricist. <laughs> and and has problems, you know, making things rhyme. Okay, so there's the show within the show, but it's also a musical. Correct. Show and and quite terrible at that, I guess. Yes. Well, he's a <laughs> as a producer and director myself. You know, we have these grand ideas that always look a lot better on paper. Oh yeah. And then you see it come to life. It's like, yeah, I probably would have changed that. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of which, what what's the most challenging thing about directing this production? Do you think it's uh, herding two dozen cats on catnip? 
Oh, okay. It's uh, <laughs> well with any large production. Uh, I I very much feel like I want this to be a Hollywood musical. Okay. Bright colors, full orchestra sound. You know, I'm very inspired by the film. The, the plot's a little different in the film, but you have a lot of a lot of color, a lot of technicolor. In fact, the film was actually recorded in 3D. Oh, wow. In 1953, there were three musicals that were recorded in 3D. So that's how much they, stock they put in this. So what's difficult is so many moving parts. You have dancing, you have singing, and then you have acting. But also most of the actors have what I call alpha and beta characters. Mm-hmm. The alpha characters are Fred and Lily, but then their beta characters are that they play Petruchio and Kate. Right. And so they have to actually give two different characters. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot like Noises Off, even, but like larger cast and Noises musical. Off with, with music. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Shakespeare on top of that. Uh, just tell me about your process as a director. You agree to doing a show at a theater, but where do you start? Where do you, what, where when does I your get, process start? Oh, when I get the show, if it's a show that I know well, mm-hmm. uh, I start thinking about previous versions that I've seen. As a director, I can't help but go to a movie or go to a show, sit back and kind of redirect it in my head. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's just one of those things I think we all do as a director. Like, oh, I, Good casting choice. I would have done that differently. And it was funny because, uh, as well you know, uh, I recently directed a production of Noises Off, and you were in another production. Right. And I came after mine ended to come to yours and watched it and just marveled at the differences. Not really critiqued, but I couldn't help but not say, oh, we did that different. Oh, you did that different, and that's really good. Yeah. Can't can't turn it off. That that's yeah, that's cool. So, um, but also, when it's not a show you're familiar with, what? How do you? If it's a musical, start from that. Oh, from there, if it's a musical, I, I get the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, typically, the the official Broadway cast soundtrack, which is usually there are differences. Mm-hmm. They'll cut out dance breaks, but it gives you a sense of the flavor of it. And, like, I have been playing the Kiss Me Kate soundtrack literally nonstop for the last seven months. I'm sure. <laughs> Just, it's on my iPod. You get in my car, turn it on, my iPod starts up with one of the songs. Because I want to get a, a sense of the nuance. Then I'll, uh, uh, I'll read the script as soon as I can. I'll get a preview copy. Uh, I'm not afraid to look at other productions just to see how they how they did it. Uh, I'm highly competitive. I'm very laid back, but I'm highly competitive. I want to say, how could I beat this production? Or there's a benchmark. And say, okay, the dancing on this is spectacular. I want to beat it or I want to match it. I've added a lot of tap to this production because there's not a lot of tap in the show. But in the movie, there is because they cast Ann Miller. And it's like, you don't cast um, Ann Miller without giving her tap shoes. Of course not. So it was like I wanted to add tap to this one. Okay, and when you're when you're doing straight plays like Three Musketeers, Noises Off, Again, those are the I, ones I I know <laughs> off the top of my head, right? From recently, right? Well, again, we can take uh, Three Musketeers, and by the way, your Aramis was most spectacular. Why? Thank in you, that. sir. You brought the romantic poet warrior to to levels, and I've been in many productions of that very show, and. Thoroughly enjoyed you as as Aramis. Oh, I didn't bring it up to to rake in comments. But no, no, no. But, but I, thank I, you. I, my pleasure. They were the ones that came up to my <laughs> came into my head. So it's um, like I'm sure he's directed. It's other like I know he's that. <laughs> been doing other things, but yeah. So, but with with Three Musketeers, I want it, it's the vision for directors. Like the vision you want. Do you want a small play? Do you want a big play? Mm-hmm. 
at that moment when I was asked to do Three Musketeers, I wanted to convey the old movies of it. You know, Three Musketeers has been filmed more than a hundred times. Wow. Just, you know, think about the American movies alone version. And then, of course, it's a French story. Think about how many French versions of it there are. And I was highly inspired by the 70s Richard Lester version, you know, with mm -hmm. Michael York and Oliver Reed. Right. Uh, but I did like the Disney version with Kiefer Sutherland. It mm -hmm. had its moments. Mm -hmm. But I wanted that cinematic feel. Right. So you said about what would work and what wouldn't. I want to have a soundtrack mm -hmm. to, to underscore some scenes. I want to make sure I, I wanted a big cast. And I had 48 people audition and 48 people were cast. Wow. With the extent of... And asking, I remember them, it was a big cast. It, it was a big cast, and actually, a casting crew of forty-eight. And as a director, you have a vision, but also uh, the, the telling moment is audition night. Who shows up? I may have someone in in my mind for this character or that character, but then someone will come in and blow me out of the water. I never precast. I may, you know, tell someone this is your role to lose. <laughs> okay, you know, that's a good way of putting you, you it. You need to come into audition. Yeah. You're my, I see you in this role, but if, if you don't bring it and someone else does, they they get it. Right. And with Musketeers, I had so many talented women show up to audition, and there are only three roles, basically Milady, uh Sabine, who's mm -hmm. D'Artagnan's sister, right. and the Queen. Right. Are pretty pretty much the only three. And I had about a dozen that were so talented, I couldn't not have them on my stage. Mm -hmm. And so there was a scene where one of the Musketeers, Porthos, has to take on all these assassins. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I could have an, an all-female assassin, assassin squad? squad. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the wasps, the a wench assassin squad Paris section. Right. And I called all these auditioners up and said, I'm sorry, I can't give you Milady or I can't give you Sabine. However, before you hang up, mm -hmm. let me tell you the slot I had. And all of them said yes. And it became one of the highlights to me, the highlights of the show, is just watching a very large man get his butt stomped by about eight women wielding weapons of all varieties. It was a fantastic scene. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I got to watch it and not be in it, actually. It's, it's like... There's, um, every once in a while I run into a show, it's like, that is going to be an amazing show, and I'm glad I'm going to get to enjoy it as an audience member. And it's just, you know, because, I mean, certain roles aren't for everybody, but, um, that's not even really where I was going with this. But, um, what, what do you like best about, about directing? Oh, it's the creative process, to have a vision in your head, and then to get it from the head out to the world. And same thing with writing, uh that's a huge thing for me or in acting just okay i'm taking someone else's idea and bringing it to life so it's the bringing to life process to to have my thoughts on how this show should look because you can do three musketeers with eight people right and it would be different and it wouldn't be lacking it would just be a different flavor i could do kiss me kate with 10 people 20 people which i have about two dozen or 50 you know, you can have rows and rows of, of, of ensemble dancers. So the, 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 the high of it, the, the charge I get out of it, is the real, taking an idea in my head and see if my cast and crew can make it come to life. Mm -hmm. And so it's on, it, it goes on them, and that's where the fun begins, because I like pushing them to, to say, give me this level, or this is my idea, can you match it? And very rarely does someone say this is beyond my abilities. 
How, how often are you directing and how long have you been doing that? Been directing fully since, uh, officially since 1995. When a play that I wrote had won a competition and they had a director who had to bow out, so they asked me if I'd direct my own piece. I'm not a fan of directing my own, but it was my first big sell uh, as, as a play too. And that started to another show, to another show, just bit, bit by bit. Uh, although predominantly for a while in theater, I was a musician in bands and orchestras. Okay, I didn't know that yeah. at all. Okay. So I would be in, you know, Sweet Charity or a Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum or Rocky Horror. I played in the bands for three different productions of the Rocky Horror stage show. Oh, wow. And those are on stage bands, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, best little whorehouse in Texas. And so I didn't do a lot of directing. And then it came up again, and someone asked me to direct, and then you get a reputation. Every director has their own flavor and feel. Mm -hmm. And apparently, if, if Shakespeare's involved, I'm one of the first people that are called. You're one of the shortlist. I love people. directing Shakespeare, especially for for new audiences, maybe even the actors who are afraid of them. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I recently did uh, Macbeth for Stageworks Academy, so it's teenagers. Oh, wow. And they got to choose the setting. Oh, cool. And they set it in a dystopian future, but I just didn't let them get away with that. It's like, what dystopian future? Mm -hmm. Blade Runner? Walking Dead, you, you know, you got to give mm, me something. Right. So I made them say, they got together and they came back, okay, it's 50 years after North Korea's nuked America. Great! <laughs> How are you going to convey this? And yeah. so they chose weapons. Like, there wouldn't be swords mm -hmm. and there wouldn't be guns, but there'd be pipes and wrenches. Right. So these were the weapons that are used, or, or they would use face paint to show the clans instead of tartans. And making, you know, Making them read the No Fear version of Shakespeare, which mm -hmm. is uh, a version where it's translated to modern English, right. so they know what the heck they're talking about. Sure. And and I don't I don't know if this is frowned upon in the community or not. It's an actor, but <laughs> I find the No Fear Shakespeare actually very very helpful. Um, just just trying to get up to speed very very quickly. So. Um, I don't. I don't know what that says about me or not. But oh, I, I read I, it. I I find that that's extremely helpful. I mean, I've only done mm, two. Yeah, two Shakespeare's. But um, well, when I saw I, your Midsummer Night's Dream, and you you brought it home. Thank you. So I mean, that was that. But that was that was a huge tool in in all of that, and just understanding it very very. You know, trying to understand it very quickly. I mean, that's not the long and short of of the research, but. You know, it, it's certainly the start. It, it truly is. And I'm a Shakespeare junkie. I mean, I can mm. quote Chaucer in Middle English. That's how nerdy I am. Uh -huh. And I'll still read the No Fear. Okay. Because there may be nuances that I may have missed or just to remind me. It always kind of like bothers me when I see productions of Romeo and Juliet where Juliet comes out like she's looking going, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And that does not wherefore mean Wherefore means why. Right. So it's Romeo, why art thou Romeo? Yeah. And so I die a little on the inside because it's like the, the director didn't know. Or how to pronounce certain words or why, you know, why this is. Shakespeare is a great dirty joke teller. Yeah, oh yeah. And <laughs> one of the fun things about directing Kiss Me Kate is The Taming of the Shrew, which is the Shakespeare show within the show, is the most misogynistic show ever written. <laughs> it's about a man who marries a woman for money and sets about psychologically torturing her to, to break her, to make her a... A conformed woman, a Kate uh -huh. conformable, as he calls her, and he succeeds. But in context, right? 
1590, when this play was written, mm-hmm. and, you know, ladies listening, I, I'm going to apologize on behalf of the Y chromosome up front, but that's how it was. Yeah. It's, I feel strongly on many levels that you can't judge yesterday's actions by today's standards. No. Of course, back then it was horribly misogynistic, mm-hmm. but in 1590 AD, a woman had to have a man to survive. Yes. And so what I get out of the play at the end of it, when he does, she gives this long speech shaming other women, saying, you need to conform, you need to be there for your man. And what Kate is saying is, they're out there declaring war and killing and providing, we need to keep them sane. They need to come home. She says, our bodies are soft on the outside to match our hearts on the inside. And so when you realize (laughs) that, you know, it, it makes a certain sense. So you take Kiss Me, Kate, and you add it to a musical written in 1948 where she gets the wife gets spanked on stage by the husband because she gets she goes off book oh, and starts wow. beating up on him. She, she gets upset with him. So we're also looking about at the 40s. In America's history, probably the most misogynistic era. Mm-hmm. And so you have to embrace it. You can't you can either apologize for it and ignore it or you tell people this is how it was. Right. And so it was a great challenge. Mm-hmm. Very few people like to put on Taming of the Shrew because it is so misogynistic. Right. You add that to Cole Porter's lyrics and, <laughs> and the actions on the stage. It's a great challenge. Yeah. I, I remember a challenge like that, very similar um, in Three Musketeers, because we had to make the whole Aramis and uh, Sabine relationship work, even though he's, you know, I'm as old as I am, which I will <laughs> not disclose, but, you know, uh, Sabine is, you know, she's she's a teenager, right? And the 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 wonderful actress playing her was even younger. So, but but we still found a way to make it work with the the um, sort of context of the era that it takes place in. So yes, and as a result, you also gave it a purity. Mm-hmm. I've seen productions of this very same production where it's it's raunchier mm. because you had the actors closer in age, so they felt, well, this is how we would act. But you and I had conversations about that, yeah. and you would call. I remember you'd call me, say, "This is my thought about this. I'd like to try that." And I love that. I love when an actor gets engaged. I tell all my actors by opening night, you need to know your characters better than I do. Mm-hmm. You need to come up with things that I haven't come up with. My ego is secure. That if you come up with things that I won't haven't, that's not a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope you'd have actors that would bring stuff to the table and. And also, and and have, and have, you know, um, have those same actors, you know, be so secure with that one thing that they really need to pay attention to. Whereas you, as a director, have to obviously be everywhere and oversee everything. So, yeah, that would, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no, no, not at all. Excellent point. But uh, some directors, every director has their own flavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my flavor is not for every actor. And I know that. And uh, But some directors want you to come in, do the lines exactly as written, follow the blocking exactly as suggested, and don't come up with anything original. Mm. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Let's say it's Phantom of the Opera. You don't want someone going right. off script. No, you don't. But, you know, whomever cast Robert Guillaume as the Phantom was a genius. Mm-hmm. He was an amazing. So the cast an African-American right. as the Phantom brought something especially considering it's a french story and in france the you know alexander dumas who wrote three musketeers was black many people many people don't it didn't have the stigma back then 
the, uh, the the slavery we all enjoyed back in the day came from England, right. not France. Mm. So some directors want that. No, no, no. This is my vision. You will say this just like that. And there, as my cast tend to find out, some scenes I'll say play over there and see how it goes. And some scenes we will get it down to the microsecond how I long how long I want something paused mm. or how I want an eyebrow to be cocked because it's important to the vision. Okay. And so the actors have to keep up with that. I, I don't envy them. <laughs> Well, okay. Um, I am hearing something that you're not hearing because it's going to be added in post. Awesome! Yes. The um, magic. But yes, it is now time for the Fret-Worthy Five. Mm-hmm. Fret-Worthy Five. And so, basically, what this is, we're about to play a game where I ask a number of flippant questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything else we talk about for the rest of the show. You can either answer or say pass, in which case I'll go to the next question. But in order to stop me from asking you things, you have to answer five of them. Okay. You I ready? will fearlessly face you your fretworthy five. Okay, I don't I don't know that they're that menacing. I was just going with the alliteration. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to do something. Uh, with the, the yeah, anyway, I'm moving on. Um, so what was the last foreign language film that you enjoyed and what was good about it? No, that's Ford. I would. <laughs> well, if I stretched, I could say when I bought Galaxy Quest, I found on the director's commentary that they actually had the alien language commentary, which is just two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I did enjoy that. <laughs> uh, I think it's. I think it's. Um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they have. Um, it's not a, it's not an audio commentary, but there's like a, a text, there's a subtitle track that you can select, which is actually, I think, Shakespearean dialogue from like Henry V or something for those people that would prefer that to the movie that they're watching. There you go. So that's that that fits in very well. Um, but if we had to choose a real one, I would have to say The Crimson Rivers, a French film, and actually did a sequel. Uh, uh, a cop drama, and in the sequel, it actually took on some supernatural undertones that may or may not have been there. But a uh, Jean Renault was in it. Uh, you, I don't, I don't know this one. No, uh, very, very nice. I stumbled across it late one night on probably HBO and recorded it and, and enjoyed the heck out of it. Oh well, it sounds really cool. Have you seen? And this is sort of a departure from this question and it doesn't count toward your five gotcha okay um but, but but you being you know we're talking about foreign films and we're uh um you're you're a big shakespeare buff so i'm i'm wondering if you've seen throne of blood i have not oh you must see throne of blood it's my favorite version of Macbeth. Nice. well at least filmed version anyway um, is it anime it, no it's it's uh kira kurosawa and um i should have seen that <laughs> yeah um i want to say it was done in the 50s uh with oh you know the actor he always Dishiro Mifune. thank you you got it and um it's just uh some of the cinematography especially um like when they go to the witches and just just how spooky it was the just the, the camera techniques for that time were just I don't know for me that was mind blowing but it's it's I don't know it's on Criterion somewhere but it it's it's really really worth a watch I think 
I must seek and watch. Yeah, you should see this thing. It's it's awesome. Uh, what is your favorite fictional universe? Middle Earth. Middle Earth. Yes. Did the, you grow up writing, reading all that, or? Uh, oh yes, I was a Tolkien junkie. Oh wow. Very, very much into Tolkien. Um, I, when I was in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, stumbled across The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And actually, a friend of mine said, "Listen, read this book. They got these dwarf runes. It's like a secret language. We can pass notes in class and not get caught." <laughs> And I'd actually been, re- I remember this, I was reading The Phantom Tollbooth, and I actually stopped reading that to pick up The Hobbit. Um, and I never, like, not finish a book. Right. So I got in The Hobbit. It was a little kiddie-ish. You know, I was eight, but mm. I was, I, I, I started reading, the first book I read was A Wrinkle in Time when I was five. Oh, and yeah, that's that, a marvelous book. That is my favorite book. Oh, is it? Just that's page cool. for page. Uh, for saga, of course, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. because of the, the whole universe that was created. But just page for page from, you know, how Madeline Longle took the Butler Linen opening line, it was a dark and stormy night, mm-hmm. taking a line from the worst novel in existence sure. to turn it into this. Uh-huh. Uh, love, you know, just love that book. But as far as the universe, the fictional universe, I'd have to say Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. So, if Wrinkle in Time is your favorite. Have you seen the movie that's I have. come out? Is it good? I enjoyed it. There were I can see why some people wouldn't have. I'm mm-hmm. still personally snickering at a 30 foot tall Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> okay. But you know, I figure if you can afford Oprah Winfrey, make her 30 feet tall. Sure. Uh, I thought the the choice to make it a multiracial family mm-hmm. was very yeah. bold and very nicely done because it was incidental. It wasn't a hey, look at us. White husband, black wife, mixed race children. Mm-hmm. And, well, in fact, as Charles Wallace is even adopted, he's Oriental. Oh, he's Asian, right. Asian, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, so, but it didn't take front seat. It was incidental to the whole storyline. As it should be. And they played footloose and fancy free with some facts, but I still sobbed like a little girl when Meg is trying to rescue her brother at the end. Mm-hmm. And my daughter saw the tears flowing down my face. Fortunately, they were flowing down her face as well. So I said, I'm not crying, you're crying! Shut up! <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I still haven't gotten out to see it. So I'm, I'm like, ugh, I want to so bad, but I haven't been able to. Uh, what is the best Girl Scout cookie? Oh, peanut butter sandwich. Peanut butter sandwich? It's the only Girl Scout cookie. Oh, I... Mm. I'll arm roast you on that one. No. Okay, you can have all the you can have all the thin mints you want. Uh, the peanut butter patty I, I is good enjoy, for a backup. I, I enjoy uh, the um, caramel delights myself, which I think is called something else in other regions, like the. I want to say there's Samoas or something. I don't. I don't know. Well, but, they and they also did add a s'more cookie this year. Here's oh, the thing: yeah. my, my favorite Girl Scout cookie is the free box that someone will give me. Uh-huh. Except for Thin Mints. I just never acquired a taste. But when I have, in fact, when we were out in my car, you may have noticed on the back floorboard were two boxes of... <laughs> was my, you never know when there's going to be when an apocalypse gonna action. going to be a cookie emergency. You never know. I mean, you know. It happened in Shrek, right? You're right. Um, okay. Did any of your ancestors build a bomb shelter no what a wonderful question i had to think about that for to my knowledge no however my father was a commander in the united states navy mm-hmm. and his last um billet his last job before he retired from the navy was port commander diego garcia he was literally the man 
that if there was nuclear war in the Mediterranean, he'd be pushing the button. Wow. So I don't think we had any bomb shelters, but I'm sure that because he was high up enough uh, the, the ranks that if, if something went down, the Marines would have grabbed us and taken us somewhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. Close enough. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite misunderstood lyrics? Wow. Now, I should have been prepared for that one. I remember that my, my second wife was convinced it was One Love Pizza Pie. That's, I'm sorry. For, for Journey Song, One Love Feeds a Fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was just convinced it was Pizza Pie. <laughs> uh, wow, Miss... I'm going to pass on that one because okay. it would be so much dead air. Oh, okay. I'd have to think about it. Are there other civilizations in the universe? Yes. You're sure? Yes. Okay. To quote Carl Sagan, because if not... It'd be a terrible waste of space. <laughs> I love that movie too. Uh, okay. Well, you have survived the threat. Woohoo! Fret, I keep saying threat. This is not good. <laughs> Fret worthy five. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. 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 All right. Uh, we are going to take a break because someday I'll have, you know, sponsors or something. And I should just get used to putting a break in the show. In the second half of our conversation, I'll chat with Sean about the myriad other things he's doing and where he finds the freaking energy to do it. Uh, and if we're lucky, there'll be an origin story. And then someone's favorite segment, the cold read strut, don't go away. So this is episode two of strutting and fretting, and we still don't have a sponsor. So this will be quick. Do you like our show? Would you like to follow it on social media? Sure, we all do. I'm here to tell you that the best place to find us on Facebook is at facebook.com slash fretme. Similarly, you can also find us by following fretme on Twitter. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to Strutting and Fretting. I'm talking to Sean K. Thompson. So, um, you are also an experienced morning talk show radio host. Correct. And tell us about that and where people can listen. It's a local radio station called Lone Star Community Radio. It's the official Conroe radio station, City of Conroe. Uh, it's been in existence for a couple of years now. Uh, a few years ago, I actually did some live radio plays. I got to play Scrooge one year. Uh, they did a they reenacted a, an episode of The Shadow, and I got to play the bad guy. So I I knew of it. I'm pretty sure that's where I met you. I think I think that was yeah. our first encounter on yeah. that one, and that 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 was fun. I enjoyed doing that. But about five, six months ago, I received a call because they had talk shows available. And someone called and asked if I'd be interested in a talk show. And I was like, I'm not sure if I have the time commitment. Well, come on up and we'll talk about it. So I said, okay, I'll be there in an hour. Well, as I'm driving up, unbeknownst to me, the station manager who was doing the morning show by himself mm-hmm. came to these producers complaining, I'm just, you know, I'm doing everything. I just want to either stop doing it or if I could just find a, a co-host who's, who's worthy. And they said, well, you know, Sean, Skippy's on his way up. <laughs> and they were great. So I walk into this meeting and I got this line of people just sitting there looking at me. And I'm, what's happened while I was driving? Mm. And they told me, like, we'd like you to host the morning show with Dick. And... Uh, Asked, well, when do you want to start? Well, how's tomorrow sound? <laughs> so originally, it was an 8 to 11 show, 8 a.m. to 11, where we'd play music for two hours. Uh-huh. A lot of country. I'm not, you know, not, not, my, uh, 
not my bailiwick, but, and then we take it to the nitty gritty for the final hour where we talk about headlines or, mm -hmm. or popular culture. Sure. And we noticed that the first two hours, not a lot of people were listening, but when we started talking, listenership tripled and quadrupled. Oh, okay. So we decided, let's kill the first hour and just play, you know, I haven't played music normally. And then we'll come on from nine to 11 and have it be a two hour talk show with guests if they're available or just you know, we pick headlines, mm -hmm. pick controversial topics and then play music just at the top and the bottom of the hour. Mm -hmm. So it's Lone Star Community Radio. If you're in the Conroe, Texas area, there are two bands you can pick it up on, 104.5 or 106.1, or we stream live on IRLoneStar.com and we also podcast. And we actually, uh, we just got the numbers for last year for the podcast. Mm -hmm. We have, we had 100,000 unique hits wow. for the podcast that's fantastic so someone was listening somewhere well that's cool that that's grown as much as now 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 when you're doing the uh, controversial topics and um things of the day do, do you debate with people or people call in or we, they, we allow they... people to call in uh usually we have we have a message line mm -hmm. because we don't have the seven second delay and we can't take a chance mm. on on the accidental oopsie yet right uh if we can trust someone you know we'll have them call in people always welcome to come into the studio we'll yeah. have guests pop in uh, even if dick and i would agree on a topic sometimes we'll take opposing views just to talk about get, it. get the conversation going mm -hmm. we're both huge on civil discourse uh, I, you know, personally am fiscally conservative, mm -hmm. but during the uh, primary election season, we had a lot of uh, uh, fiscally liberal candidates come in and great conversation. Okay. Where you're talking about everything from healthcare or or jobs or anything like that, where I believe two people can disagree, you know, polar opposites, but mm -hmm. still discuss and go out for a beer or coffee afterwards. Right. It's so nice to know that that actually does happen somewhere. Um, I think it's our, our job as presenters actually to pr promote it and encourage yeah. it. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm so glad that you get to do that. And you've been doing that for five, six months now. I think so. Time flies when you're yeah, having okay. fun. That's cool. And uh, you're also, you, you uh, kind of hinted at, I guess, radio dramas. I know that there was... Um, some done in the past, but there's also what Lone Star Radio Troop. Now? This Lone Star Radio Troop, and the, it started up, and I was very fortunate that I wrote two plays, radio plays that got produced. One was mm -hmm. a horror, one was a comedy, and we did those live because there's just a certain charge with that. Uh, and some other directors and writers came in and did some other shows too. Then the main producer, she left uh, to pursue some other options and does a lot of traveling. And it was recently decided that myself and Rick Sellers, who works at the radio station, does the afternoon show, will run the troops. So we're about to actually, you get like a sneak. This is breaking news. Oh, wow. If this you have breaking news sound effect, sweet. this is this it. Is exclusive. Right. There you go. Uh, we're going to be putting out an all call to writers, directors, and performers. And also sponsors, because mm -hmm. it helps to have that. Sure. And pick it back up to where Sunday evenings, we'll mm -hmm. start off once a month, and then hopefully every Sunday we'll have live or pre-broadcast okay. community-driven shows. So you're you're looking for original content as well as um, maybe doing some classic radio Absolutely. Or, okay. Yeah, we think it would be good to, to mix that, <laughs> um, especially with some of the classics that they're out in the public domain. Mm -hmm. But looking at you find these radio scripts... You can do an episode of the Archies or the Thin Man, right. or flat. We did Flash Gordon or the Shadow, mm -hmm. and you find out uh, 
who's tuning in for what. But we also believe that the community, Conroe community, the Montgomery County area, is chock full of artists that I didn't even know about. And so if you want to write something, as long as it is worthy to be aired, mm-hmm. we'll air it. We'll yeah. help you cast it. That's cool. No, and you directed one, didn't you? I did direct you one. Did. It was I a, did. a spooky, a, a, a um, not spooky, but it was a science fiction piece that was very... Yes. Very in your head. Yeah, it was uh, the cold equations, and it was a old episode of um, X minus one, but the, it's been done. Like, I mean, uh, I think the most recent version was like a, a direct-to-video movie or something. I think I don't. I don't want to say Lorenzo Lamas was in it, but I just I can't remember who. If it wasn't him, it should have been. Yeah, but um, but I mean that's that that story's. Um, it's it's a classic science fiction story from I think the forties if I remember correctly, um, but I mean it's been adapted tons and tons of times. In fact, the um, my first experience with it was the nineteen um, eighties uh, Twilight Zone. They did it once, and they they had a fantastic version of that, and I, I it's just it's stuck with me ever since, and that's that's why I was so happy to do that one. Huzzah. Um, but yes, and and with any luck, I'll get to do another one soon. Um, well, you know who to call. Or, yeah, or or play Ming the Merciless again soon. Oh, your but, Ming was uh, awesome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, so secret secret broken, uh, Sean and I know each other, and I know the answers to a lot of these questions already, but um, anyway. <laughs> but to make it fair, we rarely acknowledge each other's presence in public. Yeah, I know. Keeps the mystique. Like, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so yeah, you're an experienced radio, morning radio talk show host. How am I doing compared to you? You're doing awesome. Really? Yes. You, you're, you have a lot of inflection in your voice, so you're engaging. You bring it down. Uh-huh. Uh, you have a very calm demeanor, which is nice, but when you crack up, it's very warm. Oh, I really am. I, I need to stop fishing for compliments <laughs> there. I, I was not expecting that, actually. It's like, well... Well, you, you keep passing these $5 bills my way. To... <laughs> I figured I'd, I'd say something to earn them. Hey, and the dogs. The dogs are a perk. Um, okay, so... I'm trying to... Um, I don't know. I don't think we've already discussed this during the hour. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you start out as an actor, or what? <laughs> what, what happened first for you creatively? Well, creatively, writing and acting happened around the same time. I was very, as I, as I said earlier, I read *Wrinkle in Time* when I was five, mm-hmm. and had parents who encouraged. They knew that I was a reader and, and uh, liked to write. I was very fortunate that I was published when I was seven years old. And when I was eight, I was a guest columnist for the San Diego Evening Tribune, the newspaper. Wow. It, it was just one of those. I was very fortunate. Some some um, things came my way. And I had parents who and an older sister who encouraged it. They knew I was a ham. Mm-hmm. My, right around the same time my acting experience began, my sister was uh, in a elementary school production of Macbeth. And they needed... <laughs> That's a Mac- just coming up a lot. And, right, <laughs> well, they needed a Macduff kid. Uh-huh. And if those of you unfamiliar with Macbeth, Macbeth is, ends up being a bad guy and he slaughters this whole family to mm-hmm. stay in power. And so it was like a last minute thing. So Kimberly's little brother gets all, you know, they, I think they put a pillowcase on me and cinched it with a belt because I was so small. Mm-hmm. They just needed some kind of costume. And I said, well, okay, what am I going to do? Well, you don't have to say anything, but see that big guy over there? He's going to take you off stage to kill you. 
I had not fully, as a six-year-old, had not fully grasped the concept of acting. So I thought this guy's dragging me off stage to kill me for realsies. Oh, wow. So I'm screaming blue murder as this goes on and move the audience to tears of what power this young man gave as I'm screaming blue murder. Uh, from that, I was the chef in Peter and the Wolf in kindergarten. Uh, no, first grade. That was first grade. And uh, then every now and then would trot the boards. Uh, uh, in, when I moved to England, I joined a theater company called uh, 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 Solent Theaters, and it was stage one was the youth. So I did some adult shows. Not that kind, but, you know, grown-up right. shows. Uh, but then I did uh, Wizard of Oz, and I was the, co- the last show I did in England was I was the Cowardly Lion. That's fantastic. How long were you in England? I was there for about five years. I lived in Japan for five, almost five years in England. Wow. Were you doing theater in Japan? Uh, no, I lived on a Navy base, and, okay. and a very small Navy base. And so we found lots of other things to get caught up in. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of sketches. Uh, I remember one we did the... The submarine gag where you have the five guys lined up and they're, you know, passing the line up and down, uh, passing the, the order up and down the line. And it's like the telephone game where it gets messed up and they're trying to shoot a torpedo. I think that was about the highlight of, of my acting, but I, that I did do a lot of writing mm-hmm. um, for like the base newsletter and stuff and, and tried to hone my skills there. Okay. So, but, and you've written plays and novels or? plays novels uh, uh, i'm very fortunate again i've uh, been lucky enough to win some playwriting awards screenwriting award and uh, being best-selling novelist Gee, okay elaborate on that what 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 awards and what for and what were the stories like the uh the plays that have won awards the first one was called calling metropolis which was a comedy about a superhero. Mm-hmm. The premise was, what if in our, our real everyday world, some guy popped up claiming to be a superhero and no one could prove him wrong? So it had all the tropes and cliches, but it had a heart because until the very end, you, you have no idea if this guy's for real or not. Okay. And so that won the Member's Choice Award for Fort Bend Theater, oh. uh, Fort Bend Community Theater. And so I was very fortunate with that. Then I wrote a, a short play called Romana Clay, which won the Theater Southwest Festival Originals. And then for Upstage Theater, I since I was a member of Upstage Theater, I wrote it under a pseudonym. I wrote mm. a play called Super Salad Days, which was kind of a sequel to Calling Metropolis, where what, a, what happens if you have all these 70, 80, 90-year-old superheroes and supervillains who are past their prime but can't let it go? <laughs> and so I had some of the same characters. And that won an award for the Festival of, of Comedies, but I had to, no one knew it was me until after I won the award because I didn't want it to be a little nepotism thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that that was the uh, the, the plays uh, that have won awards. I've written some others. Uh, the screenplay I wrote was Jack Everyman. Okay. And, and I think I watched the trailer for that on IMDb. Okay, yeah, the trailer was good. Uh, yes, I have a nude scene in that movie. <laughs> and I wrote it, but I wasn't supposed to be Jack. What happened was um, I'd written a play called Time Crossed. Okay. And it was a time travel love story. Mm-hmm. And it was not suited for the stage. I had two different productions of it and was always changing the ending. And I had some wonderful local actors and actresses kind enough to, to be part of these productions. And my wife at the time said, that would make a good novel. And I said, no, I'm really good with dialogue. I'm not good with narrative. Yeah, I, I thought I knew my strengths. And she said, give it a try. So I started writing it as a novel. 
and started putting it out to publishers. And I had 53 rejections as I'm mm -hmm. writing it. Right. And I, I have all those rejections. because Most of them were, we appreciate your submission. We're not taking it because of A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. And then number 54 was a publisher called Edge Science Fiction. And they accepted it and got me an editor and we got it all cleaned up. We got to galley phase, which is like the final bit before it goes to the, the final printer where you make you and they the folded layout and all that. And they folded. Edge oh, folded. So I had oh, a galleyed book. Oh wow. And no one knew to put it put oh. it on. So I started all over again. The very next publisher I tried was called Filbert Press in mm -hmm. Minnesota. And I submitted it over the, the weekend. Now this was uh, back in the day we didn't email. Oh, okay. Uh, it just uh, publishers want like the first fifty pages, the first hundred pages, whatever. So I sent the first half of the novel to this publisher. About four days later, I get a call from a woman telling me, "Is he dead?" I'm like, <laughs> "Who is this? You killed him. Is he coming back?" I said, "Who, who is it?" Because we didn't have caller ID back then either. Right. You know? It was the publisher. She got I kill off a character halfway through, and she was upset. Well, you're having your own little Annie Wilkes moment right there. I, I, well, <laughs> we can talk about that in a moment because that, that, that's a real thing, by the way. If you're, oh, wow. if you're an author, and she said, "This is Beth Ann Erickson with Filbert Press. I'm reading your book. You killed Zach. Does he come back?" Mm -hmm. I said, "He's dead. I know he's dead, but his time travel. Does he come back?" I'm like, "It doesn't work like that. He's dead." She's like, "I'm." I, I'll call you back later. I need to finish reading this. So she hung up the book. Usually it takes about nine months to a year from the contract being signed to it actually getting to the to the bookstores. Mm -hmm. And she called about three days later. She said we wanted to it was uh it was uh Memorial Day weekend, so it was around May. She said we want it to go up in November. I said, a year and a half, that's good. She said, no, this November. We we want this one to go out now. Because wow. it was already already galleyed. Oh, wow. So I cleaned it up, got a new editor, got it fixed up just right as as best I could, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it went out in November. At the same time, that's when the time traveler's wife was released. Right. Okay. By back in the day, Amazon had a thing. If you like this book, try this book. Uh -huh. Since mine was a time travel romance right. with a lot of Shakespearean undertones, mm -hmm. and time traveler's wife came out, people bought both books at the same time. Oh wow. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, for a brief flickering moment, <laughs> I was actually outselling Stephen King. Wow. For one day on Amazon, I was like, because they would tell you the number of the book. So uh, I was very <clears> fortunate <throat> with that, with, with Time Crossed. Mm -hmm. And as a novel, it found what it needed to be. The long story behind that is I got called to script Doctor, a locally produced movie. The mm -hmm. uh, producer said, here's the script. It's really rubbish. Can you fix it up? So I took the weekend to clean it up. Mm -hmm. They asked if I could be there on Monday for the shoot. Oh, wow. Sometimes, okay. the, you know, the writer, usually they're, they're encouraged to stay away, but I right. thought they may need me for some rewrites. Mm -hmm. Well, I showed up. I'm being introduced as the director. I'm like, what? No, I'm what? the writer. What? Well, no, no. See, the director got fired last night, but with what you did on this script, we know you know the script. <laughs> Here are the I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm being given a, a motion picture to direct. I'm talking to the cinematographer. And I'm like, is this is this, am I gonna regret this? He's like, well, it's kind of a nickel and dime operation, but they're paying. Mm -hmm. And I said, Well, why are you doing this? He said, 
this is going to sound really stupid. I just read this novel. I want to turn it into a movie. So I'm going to get some money from this one and talk to the author to see if we can do it, if I can buy the rights to the, to the book. Yeah. I said, cool, what's the book? He said, it's called Time Crossed. Oh, my God. And I said, I'm like, right, sure. He's like, no, seriously. Time Crossed written by Sean K. Thompson. Yeah. Look on the back cover. See, see my face. So very small world. Mm -hmm. So we thought, okay, to, 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 to get money for the Time Crossed movie, we'd have to do another movie. Uh-huh. Uh, like a low budget one and take right. the money from that. So mm -hmm. usually you write a horror film. Sure. A slasher flick. Yeah. And I said, give me, give me, give me, give me a month. I'll write you a cheap slasher flick. It'll be fun. And at the time I was going through a particularly rancid divorce and I was really bummed and my son was about to graduate high school and go off in the Marine Corps. Wow. So my, my life is changing left and right. And I had myself the worst case of writer's block. And so I'm sitting there for three weeks, this middle-aged, divorced, yet-again guy with writer's block. I thought, what, is, what the hell can I write about? Let's write a movie about a divorced guy. With, And so it's not autobiographical, not even semi-autobiographical, but that's where it started flowing. Mm -hmm. And as I like to tell people, that's when the character started talking to me, not literally, but I metaphorically. I love that moment, actually. When, and we talked about this in the, like, the last episode, but um, with other people. But yeah, I love the when you're doing something creative and the elements uh, begin to basically tell you where they need to go and and then you know characters do talk to each other in your head and, absolutely and and when it does that by itself without effort that's when you know you've got it and that that's i haven't written anything in a very long time but that was the part about writing that always excited me it's such a charge such a high yeah. so i wrote the movie in about three weeks and we started filming we held auditions and i had to read against the actresses to play the the female lead mm -hmm. we were trying to find the male lead and i had no intention of ever acting in this thing i was like i wrote it i'll write do rewrites whatever you want mm -hmm. well the larry who's the director of this one he said, you got to play Jack, the main character. I'm like, I don't want to play Jack. You have to, you know Jack. I'm like, Jack has a nude scene. I really don't want to play <laughs> Jack. It had to be in there. It was tastefully done. You don't, it's not right. like the piano. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. it's nothing that I could hide with boxer shorts either. Uh -huh. And it's not the bathtub scene. If you saw the trailer, it's not the bathtub scene. It's another scene. <laughs> and I'm begging him, please don't make me do this. He's like, you have to do it. And, and so I did. Uh -huh. We filmed it on weekends uh -huh. for... A very low budget. I'd say it was shoestring budget if we could afford the shoestrings. Mm -hmm. But I called in some favors, so we were able to shoot in a hospital. A hospital let us use a room for a day for oh, the, cool. the hospital scene. Okay. A restaurant let us shoot in the restaurant for a day as long as we put the restaurant sign as an establishing shot. Oh, yeah. And, cool. and so the film came together. Well, they said, we're going to submit it to World Fest International Film Festival. Because it's, it's locally based, but it's international. Mm -hmm. And we can just get it in under the wire if we edit like night and day and shoot this quick. Right. When you submit it to the film festival, you, there are categories to go under. And we, we put it under low budget and two others because it was very low budget. I think we shot it for a grand total of $10,000. Oh, wow. And that's it sounds like a lot, but that's camera rental, yeah. lights, tapes, uh -huh. uh, uh, catering. Mm -hmm. it, it racks it pretty quick. Well, we were informed we, we won a Silver Remy Award, Silver Remington Award. And so at the presentation, first you have the festival itself where you see the movie being screened. 
And that's where I just had a meltdown because my family's in the audience and I got a nude scene. <laughs> um, and then the hunter, Todd, who's the who runs the festival, came out and said, ordinarily we won't do this, but we love this movie so much. We want you to know that it won Silver Remy for first dramatic feature. And what that meant was that we were up against movies that had $10, $50 million mm. budgets, being the first feature of that production company. Wow. So we won Silver... So that that was a long story short. Well, long story pretty long actually. That's a, that's how that happened. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. That sounds that's exciting. Um, if anybody wants to see this movie, is there a still? Um... I think you can still. If you go to uh, zackcom z a k c o m dot com, mm-hmm. uh, or hit me up on on Facebook, Sean Keith Thompson. I, I think Amazon was carrying it for a while, mm-hmm. but I think it's also you can get new DVDs printed on it. Oh, okay. That's that. I, that all sounds really exciting, fantastic. It was ten ten grand. How mm-hmm. long did it take to shoot that? Since you were three rushing? months over weekends. Three months. Okay, three months of weekends. So twenty four days, mm-hmm. something like that. Wow, that's that is fantastic. Wow, that's okay. <laughs> oh, here's a little bit of trivia on that. Uh, did you hear about the uh, the lady who sued IMDb because she was Asian and they put her real age on? No, and she was because uh, she was in her. Uh, she said she wasn't getting cast as much because of that, and it uh-huh. actually caused a, some changes. She was in Jack Everyman. Oh, uh, yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, neither were we at the time. It, it happened later. <laughs> but great no, I mean, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard the story. Um, you alluded to, you had a, an anecdote that was very, uh, um, oh, Wow, Annie Wilkes S. <laughs> and and now I have to ask you about that. So. I got death threats for killing off Zach. Uh, really? Yeah, you know, people. And you got to take it with a grain of salt. Uh-huh. Uh, again, you know, my sister was always my uh, protector. I had an older sister, and um, I get a review on Amazon, and it wouldn't be a good one. Mm-hmm. And she called me. Did you read what that son of a gun wrote about you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm like, sis, it's okay. No, it's not okay. How can you be so calm? It's like, look, in order to review it, he had to buy it. I got his money. I don't care. You know, maybe the writing is pedestrian. I don't, you know, maybe the characters are shallow. And uh, so that was the fun time. The only review that I uh, ever uh, called the guy on was, uh, was an Amazon review. And he said, I only read it halfway. I had too many unanswered questions, so I stopped reading it. And I found the guy. It wasn't too hard to find him. And I mm. called him. Oh, well. And he, yes, this is Robert. And I said, Robert, please don't freak out. And this is not a bad call. I said, this is, this is Sean Thompson. He said, okay. I said, I'm the author of Time Crossed. <laughs> oh. And I won't... You can guess what the next word was. And I said, no, no, no. I, I just... I'm going to ask... I want to tell you what happens five pages after you stopped reading. Mm-hmm. Because I think you stopped five pages too early. Oh, and as wow. I said, it's my fault that I didn't keep you engaged enough. So I started telling what happens in the in the plot points. He's like, wait, don't, don't stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> he actually got Amazon because Amazon, you can't remove a review. Right. He actually got them to change the review. And he wow. said, I'll never, ever review a book without reading the whole thing again. Uh, but I would cool. get emails. So I had a website for a while and an email, timecross.com, I think. And mm-hmm. rarely would I get, because uh, it's spelled differently, it's S-S apostrophe D. Right. So Some Shakespearean references. Right. It's a, Romeo and Juliet are a pair of star-crossed lovers. Mm-hmm. My uh, characters are a pair of time-crossed lovers. They can't get their timing right, literally. Cool. But I would get um, some serious 
some fan mail, which is wonderful. It's beautiful to get fan mail. Mm-hmm. Or people asking questions. Why does this happen? I don't understand that. Explain this world. Because I actually had to invent a time travel system. My editor made me add a chapter that talked about the science. Oh, cool. And that took me like a month just to figure out. Right. Because I said, well, there's this loop that it spins and you go through. How does it work? And she made me do it. Mm-hmm. I love that editor. <laughs> but killing off one of the major characters, the, the male lead, as it were, halfway through, yeah. where he's dead, um, got some people, their panties got in a bunch. Because, <laughs> again, the book was written as science fiction based on the play. Yeah. But because of the time traveler's wife... I was being interviewed by the romance market. It went, it soared up the romance charts for a while. Mm-hmm. And these ladies are hardcore sure. <laughs> in their fandom. Okay. If you ever saw the West Wing, if you ever saw the episode about Lemon Lyman, you'll know exactly oh, yeah. what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. And then I tried to say, well, I think it was integral to the book. You killed him! <laughs> I will find you and I will make you bring him back to life. I'm like, God, he, he dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I actually, this is what very few people know. It's out there somewhere. And now I created a fake chapter one of the unplanned sequel, where he where he comes back, (laughs) and I would say, well, because I was I was getting a little nervous, so I'd say, okay, well, please show no one, tell no one, this is just for you. (laughs) This is the first chapter for the next book, and it's where. Excuse me. Wow, that that is wow hysterical. That thank, <laughs> oh, and yes. very entertaining. Thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. Um, on top of all this, your uh, day job, and I shouldn't call it that, or I shouldn't call it a survival job either, because it's really your career. It is. Um, it's a survival job too. <laughs> um, but you own like your own public relations firm? It, or? It's, it's kind of a hybrid company. It's called C3, Creative uh-huh. Content Creations. And I come from a public relations background and marketing background and kind of burned out on that. My last uh, job I had in PR, uh, I made a lot of wonderful contacts, but it was literally, I showed up one day to work and it wasn't there. Like the office was like gone. Surprise. And uh, I told my wife, I guess it's time for me to start looking again. And I was 50 at the mm-hmm. time, 50, 51. It's like, this is going to be fun. And this wife said, why don't you start your own? Oh, I don't think I can. She's like, give it a try. So I had six hours to like come up with a website and a name and call Vistaprint. And, and I called her friends like, hey, give me a logo. And so I came up with a name, checked on domain, bought the domain name, called a friend, listen, get this under construction website up for me. And started calling clients who were like wondering where their stuff was from the old job, and said, "I can't do anything with that one, but if you ever need new you materials, know, this is what I do." And so, Tim, my philo- business philosophy is: I figured I was of the age to where I only wanted to do what I wanted to do with people I wanted to do it with. Sometimes in PR, you have to hold your nose, mm-hmm. or you have to do things that you just firmly or opposed to i used to work at a law firm and i won't mention any names but it was a class action law firm and one of the things was they they hopped on board the tobacco litigation Mm. i personally did not track with that right and i was having to write amicus briefs that i just did not believe in and i had this, this crisis of can i write something you write for your audience and sometimes it's a paycheck gig but with c3 it's like i only want to work with 
people I want. And I turned down some big clients because I thought the fit wasn't as right. Okay. And so I provide, if it's creative and tangible, we create it. Uh, from a press release and distribution to a video, the videos uh, to commercials. I'm very, very for, I've got a couple of commercials running on um, PBS right now. Oh, wow. So okay. bit by bit. And then I got into political campaigns. Okay. With a with a creative twist to them. Sure. And so I'm still learning. When I first came out, I said, "Oh, I do everything." You know, mm-hmm. I did a bought a radio spot, thirty second radio spot, and I couldn't even understand it because I crammed in so many. I do this. I have videos and presentations and animations and this and that and that. Right. So I'm trying to I'm trying to calm it down a bit and got some good business mm-hmm. advice saying, well, you know, videos are are, are selling. Political campaigns are selling. I'm very fortunate that we've got a couple of runoffs going on now. So that right. sees me through another okay. couple of months. Sure. And then when uh, the general election pops up, they'll be calling me again. Mm. Okay. Um, is there a typical day for you? Or is every single day different depending on what's going on? Yes and no. The days usually start off well. For the last seven months, I've been hotel living with with the missus uh, because we got flooded Right. By, by and, Ike. And, and that's not the first time either. Right. We got flooded two years in a row. And the first time we flooded, uh, FEMA was awesome. I, I'm team FEMA all the way. Uh-huh. I did not have flood insurance the first year, but FEMA gave me enough money to where I was able to buy my own flooring and teach myself how to lay flooring. And mm-hmm. I had great friends who helped destroy my house and rebuild it. Wow. And then right when I get everything done, that's when the second flood hits. So that flooring <laughs> came up. And this Fortunately, was Harvey. This was Harvey. Yeah. Fortunately, I was flood insured this time. Uh, so, uh, contractors were able to do a, a lot of the work where I didn't have to. Unfortunately, my first contractor decided not to finish the job. So after a few months, I had to find, you know, I don't think he's coming back. So found a new one. Uh, but it's been, a, I gotta say, it's been a fun experience. I miss home, but the hotel living has been fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, my wife and I'll wake up early in the morning. She'll get ready and go off to her work. I'll go on the computer, check emails, see if anything's blown up over the night. Then I'll check headlines, get ready. I'll be at the radio station for a 9 o'clock show. Mm-hmm. So I have to be armed with what we're going to talk about. Sometimes I'll do a video beforehand. Tune in. We're going to talk about how the FBI is SOL today. Something like that. <laughs> you know, get like 50 views on that. At 11 o'clock, I'll usually, if I have appointments, I'll do those. Or, or I'll go to the room and work on video editing or, or new collateral. Mm-hmm. Uh, take my mom out to lunch. Or okay. here and there, something That's like cool. that. Uh, run around, and then the evening times, usually it's a rehearsal that happens. And oh. then I come staggering in at 10, 11 at night and do some more work and eventually Sleep for maybe out. three minutes and then do it all over again. Gotta love coffee. Okay. <laughs> now, out of all the things that you do creatively, do you have a favorite? Wow. That's a hard question, that I'm is. sure. That is, I gotta say, there is no greater high than like with Time Crossed. It was kind of scary to get over the really fervid fans, mm-hmm. but to think that I was being threatened over a figment of my imagination. Zach Walker does not exist. I I love Zach Walker. I hated killing him, but it was it was essential to kill him off. Yeah, and to create a universe uh, when you write a book. When you write a novel, you're asking an audience, for the next 400 pages, believe in me. Believe my universe. Mm-hmm. If you do a play, believe my universe for the next half hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've taught a workshop in the past called God of Your Own Universe, which talks about 
you have a responsibility as a, as a creator, as, as a writer, as a playwright, as a screenwriter, uh, an actor, that the universe you create, you can't jack with your audience. I can give you a Star Trek example. It's been an immutable fact that you cannot break the warp barrier. You mm-hmm. cannot break warp 10. Right. Can't do it mm-hmm. until there was a Voyager episode that they did and it was universally reviled because mm-hmm. you broke the rules. You can have X-Files have a funny moment or a funny episode right. or a lot of in-jokes. The cockroach episode mm-hmm. is my favorite. Yeah. But you can't have an all-singing, all-dancing alien episode. <laughs> but you can with Buffy because that's the universe. Right. So, so to create that universe... Where there are laws of physics with time crossed, I had to create laws of physics and find a a time travel system that nerds would accept, mm-hmm. or the, a, a love affair between these two people. And the Abby, the female in Time Crossed, is very it's a broken figure. She's an alcoholic. She's an an abuse survivor, and she's the last woman in the universe you want access to space and time. Oh wow! Okay. And and. That I to create these people out of nowhere, except my fevered imagination, to a point where people bought it literally and figuratively. Wow. They bought the book and they bought the universe. I think there's no greater high than that in the universe. That's that is fantastic and very inspiring. Thank you. And now I'm hearing uh, another game coming on. There's a sound effect I'm going to have to put in post. Okay. Um, but this is the Cold Reed Struts. Ooh, cold, cold Reed Strut. That I'm about to give you. Now, uh, most male actors, sometime or another, have envisioned themselves or made it a goal to portray Hamlet. In my opinion, there's no definitive performance yet, but I think we are going to get that done today. Depending on one's perspective, I'm either going to make your cold read super difficult or very easy because I'm about to hand you the most well-known speech in the English language. But there's a catch. Uh Uh-oh. And I need you to do your definitive Hamlet. Hang on. Uh, Are we inserting a drum roll here? Uh, no, we're, we're, we're inserting, um, these sour cherry marshmallow peeps. <laughs> so I need you to do your definitive Hamlet with at least six <laughs> of these sour cherry flavored post Easter discount marshmallow peeps in your mouth. You may use more than six if you wish. <laughs> <laughs> I Bring have, it on! I have ten. Are you ready? I am oh so ready for this. Okay. Honey, I hope you're listening to this um, because prepare to be amazed. Well, it is... I'm going to have... These, these are hard to open, actually. Um, so, the... Uh, I mean, this will live in perpetuity now, so... <laughs> um, you know, uh, it, it's available at... Um, where are we? We are at... Strutting and... Threading dot blueberry without any ease dot net, but we're also on uh, iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are found. So that's five of them. What I suggest is three per cheek. Three per cheek. Gotcha. I'm gonna look like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day when they. Oh uh, well, hang well. on. We we might as well get you know. Um, I might as well get my phone out and and, and shoot. Yeah, this. Th- we got to visualize this, this one for is, for posterity. This is yeah. Um, Ladies, hold on, prepare hold on, to hold be on, hold impressed. On. Come on. Okay. And now we are we are we have speed. 
difficult not to just eat them because they're so good. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You can't. You have to. You have to resist. Okay, so that's two. And our dogs are going off. That's three there. Four. <laughs> five. And one more. Unless you want more than that. No, I think you're good. You're good? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Take it away. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer, or slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a few fellows, and by opposing them, to die, to sleep no more. And by sleep, they're actually, um, just to let you know, they're disintegrating. <laughs> and by sleep, to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, perhaps to dream. Aye. That's the problem. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come will be a shuffle off this mortal coil. Must give us pause. There is a respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who could bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest make with bare bodkin. Who would fartles bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life that by the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country, for whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us, rather than bear those ills we have to fly than others that we know not of. The conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution, the sickly door with the pale cast of thought and enterprise of great pitch and moment, with this regard, their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Soft, you now, the therophilia, nymph, and thy orisons be all my sins remembered. Oh my god. Thank you. <laughs> that is fantastic. And I need to get you a towel. Uh, <laughs> or four. Or four. Awesome! <laughs> You couldn't have given me Ophelia's speech. Oh, sorry. I, 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 you know, uh, we're recording this and, and Easter was just last weekend. So there I, just, we go. I, I couldn't, I couldn't resist this. This so. is awesome. Well, I'm glad you, I don't even know what the sour cherry ones really taste like. Like so sour cherries. They, they do. Okay. <laughs> They're, they live up to their name. So, um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually. Thank you for the water, by the way. Uh, yes, I'm gonna hit pause, and uh, I'm gonna go get you a towel or several paper towels or I don't know. Uh, a couple of wet ones would be a fine. A couple wet ones. All right, and we will be right back with just uh, one or two more questions because we're almost done. Now, for those of you that uh, don't ever, I'm I'm gonna have to find a way to put this video up on the um, up on the thing, but um, up on our blog. But I don't know. I'm having trouble with the blog. Anyway, I'll, I'll put it somewhere for sure. I'll just throw well, it on a YouTube channel. Oh, oh, we can action. I can throw it on the uh, on the Facebook page for strutting and fretting. Oh, and I'm, you know I'm going to be sharing that to uh, my pages. Okay, there we go. Um, 
But anyway, um, if you didn't see the video, um, Sean not only successfully put six of them before he started, but he also added two more. So you betcha that um, that's that's bragging rights right there. Um, that that's all gravy. Um, and since we're coming off of Hamlet, uh, do you also organize Conroe Shakespeare Festival or? I, I was very fortunate enough this year to uh, be the festival director. It was the third annual. Mm-hmm. And for the first two years, again, I was very fortunate. I was asked to direct like the show for it. So the first year we did um, uh, uh, Comedy of Errors, okay. which I love. It's a comedy with two, sweat, two sets of twins. Mm-hmm. And so right. mayhem and hijinks ensue. We had a lot of fun with that. And the day of the first of the inaugural uh, Shakespeare Fest in Conroe, it rained horribly. So everything that was planned to be outside came inside. Mm-hmm. So we had a great audience for that. We got to put it on twice. The second year, we did uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. and uh, I was you know was in charge of that production. And shortly after, after that, I was asked if I would do the third year. And I said, what do you mean do the third year? Well, run it. And I was like, okay, I'll need some help. So it was very on again, off again for several months. And then they finally decided to go ahead with it. Uh, next year's, I, I can't say too much about it, but I can say next year's pl- promises to be huge. Something mm-hmm. that no one's ever seen. Uh, another organization is going to be taking part of it. And it could take it to all these new levels. Okay. Cool. Uh, but we had a great time this year. We did Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd done it uh, for the Woodlands um, Arts in the Park a few months ago. And we set it in the disco era. Oh, okay. Cool. And so we just reprised it. We had most of the cast still available. Mm-hmm. I got to play Paris. and uh, We have that in common. Well, my Paris is different than your Paris, I'm sure. I play yes. them as pervy... Pedo Paris, mm-hmm. because I'm obviously no longer a spring chicken, right. and Kristen Malachewski, who is my Juliet, mm-hmm. looks 14. Um, yes. And so it we... also my Juliet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so it was great fun. Uh, we actually did the hustle for the mass ball scene and got audience members up on the stage oh, cool. to do the hustle with us. That's fantastic. The original hustle. Nice. Yeah. Uh, no, mine was a uh, Confederate Civil War general... Who is also very pervy. Um, so now I get to ask Kristen who who else perved who. I may have uh, you beat. You, you might. I'm slimier. I will I, I, phrase it like this. Every time that <clears throat> my Paris gets killed, the, <clears throat> my Paris shows up in Juliet's tomb at the end to give a special goodbye. Oh, that's and we'll, disgusting. We'll and he wow. lets Romeo know this. So Romeo, when Romeo snaps Paris's neck, uh-huh. uh, the crowd applauds. Yes. That, that's so, cool. <laughs> I, I did see yours, and your parish was awesome. But I think on creep factor, I'm gonna I'm gonna take okay. the gold on this. I one. mean, I got to smell her hair. That's pretty. That's wow, pretty creepy. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get to smell her hair. What the hey? I, I, I jipped myself on that one. Kristen, you have to do it one more time. Oh no! <laughs> Battle of the Parishes. We're gonna have to get her in here. Oh sometime. my god, that would be oh that would that just would be disgusting. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, um, but yeah, this, um, so we just missed it. Uh, paint us a word picture of, of, of like what um, like a typical day for a patron would be like at the Conroe Shakespeare. Tell us what we missed so we know we, we had need some, to go. Right, we had some vendors came out, uh-huh. uh, and I'm all about farmer's markets and local crafts. 
I myself loaded up my little mini fridge in the hotel room is now chock full of mason jars filled with locally created and cultivated mm. apple butters. Oh wow! Rum jellies. Okay. Uh, banana strawberry jellies. Uh, uh, a, a dear friend of both of ours run, runs a company called Beaded Dragons. Yes. And and uh, she was out there. Uh, uh, had a decent turnout with vendors. Mm -hmm. uh, next year, there will be even more, and food trucks, too. We had a couple of food trucks with, uh, I think, more like shaved ice. Uh, one thing we did this year more than uh, previous years where the stage was always something going on. Okay, we cool. had an award-winning ventriloquist uh, do an act. We had uh, Johnny Ringo do fight uh, lessons oh, for cool. kids on stage. Nice. So there's always something going on. Nice. Uh, there's okay. a battle of the bards. Rick Sellers and I were, have both played Shakespeare, mm -hmm. William Shakespeare. Right. So we got to have like a little smackdown <laughs> over who, who, who was the one true bard. Okay. So there was a lot of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Next year, we want to get more schools involved. We tried to get schools involved this year. Yeah. And I, I believe if we find out what they're reading for, for classes next year, mm -hmm. and... To see these things brought to life, and this is my thing about Shakespeare. So many people are afraid of Shakespeare because right. they see the words. Mm -hmm. And if you get past that, it, to me, it's like, here's the script of Star Wars. You've never seen the movie. Here's the script. Visualize the movie. You can't. Right. So to base Shakespeare on the, on the scripts right. is such a disservice. You see the visuals. When you see in Comedy of Errors... You know, I said it to Harry Mancini's Baby Elephant Walk, where you have the two sets of twins standing uh, across from each other with a pane of glass, and they think it's a mirror because they're mirroring each other, uh -huh. doing the same actions. <laughs> and they, the audience, okay, we get this. Yeah. So instead of 10 pages of, of exposition, right. you can show it. Yeah, with the, with the right actors, I mean, the, the language just is not a barrier at all, and... And it's like a foreign it's, film, Tim. Yeah. You know, you treat it as like, you can watch a foreign film without the subtitles. Mm -hmm. If the actors it. are good enough to convey, mm -hmm. this is a funny moment. This yeah. is not a funny moment. Sure. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think we are actually uh, a little bit over time for this episode, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, it's been awesome playing games and talking to you. The pleasure uh, was mine. Woohoo! Well, thank you for coming in today and being such a good sport, especially with the peeps. Uh, Mr. Sean K. Thompson is king of the Marshmallow Peeps, amongst everything else he does. Score! Um, just directing, uh, Kiss Me Kate, which opens in the Owen Theater in Conroe on Friday, May 4th. And for Kiss Me Kate details and tickets, please go to owentheater.com. Now, if people want to follow you, um, on social media or wherever else you might be uh, where would they go uh you can uh follow find me on facebook under sean keith thompson okay and uh just just look for that i think my current profile picture is a baby picture of me with my sister looking over me oh. uh, yeah so cute uh i was a finger sucker at the time so i'm just finger jam rather than order well then with. the peeps should bring back good memories I, that, that's you. why i'm gonna finish off these other two i finger think finger looking go good the right there okay. uh, so with that or uh <laughs> creativecontentcreations.com mm -hmm. or c3thewoodlands.com mm -hmm. and that's my business website okay and um, I believe that um, the radio show um, well both radio shows mm -hmm. I think have their own Facebook pages they, they do it's Lone Star Community Radio or Lone Star Radio Troop you can also go to irlonestar.com the IR stands for internet radio and uh, 
look is out there. We're also Mornings with Lone Star with Dick and Skippy. Okay. Well, thanks again. Uh, you've been listening to Strutting and Fretting, uh, conversations with actors and performing artists from Houston and beyond. Our theme music is by Ben Miller. Part of this episode was written by William Shakespeare. Our guests today were Sean K. Thompson, Ginger, and Usagi. Um, those are my dogs. Speaking to you from Studio E42, I am your host, Timothy Eggert. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the cheap seats.